I'm Lorraine and I'm black. I'm Sarah and I'm Jewish. We're going back to school to learn some basic black and Jewish stuff we should totes already know. Let's get learned up! your question okay would you say that we're like we're nice girls <laughs> we're like nice polite well-behaved girls i don't know i have a problem with the word nice and with the word girls um to describe oh. what we are which is women fair enough um, fair and enough. i use i usually use the word nice to describe someone um when i've i mean i feel like you say nice when you've kind of like run out of adjectives or when you don't find a person that cool or interesting. She's nice. Yeah. She's nice. Fair enough. What, where I was coming from was more like like the way strangers might perceive us. Mm. Like walking down the street. They look like nice girls. They look like nice girls. Sure. I was thinking about how like lately we've been through a lot. Like each of us have been going through just like hell. Like, <laughs> like health-wise busyness wise job wise job wise you can hear it in my voice i'm getting over a sinus infection you're raspy as hell and i'm just like we don't have to be nice <laughs> we can be bitches if it's time to oh, be yeah we can be fully like peggy and Mad Men putting on our sunglasses smoking our cigarettes Fucking yes right speaking yeah. of which i mean been watching the handmaid's tale uh-huh and yeah, that show really makes me not want to be nice. Same here. Just burn it down. Yeah, I've seen a meme that's like the Peggy smoking a cigarette, but she's in the Handmaid's Tale outfit. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely like how I feel. Like, come at me. I'm going to bite your Fuck the fucking face off. Yeah. 100%. On that note. I do think the show may be ruining my relationship. Uh-oh. I think it's a show... I started watching it by myself, and then Matt joined me. Okay. And there's been some tension. All because right. Right. I feel like in a super... Um, like double standardy, hypocritical way, like very protective of the show and very like, don't, don't... Just don't talk about it that way. <laughs> like, he'll just observe something. Like, he would, would just make any, you know, an observation about any other show or movie. And right. I'll be like, not them, though. <laughs> just let me have this, you well, know? Okay, like, what's, like, a critique or whatever um, that he has? He just pointed out that uh, in one episode, we see um, a bunch of officers... Um, I don't know, army cops, whatever, just firing on a like openly oh, yeah, firing yeah, on yeah. a group of women. And he was like, that's bullshit. Why would they open fire on women when they wouldn't know who, which of them were fertile? And like women um, who are fertile are so like, you know, revered and so sacred in this society. Like, why would they just gun them all down? You yeah. know what I mean? What's your response to that? I'm like, <laughs> I mean, after the fact, I was like, yeah, I mean, good point. But yeah, no, I was like, I was kind of floored by that. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. But in wow. the moment, I was, like, I was like, just look, we're still building the world, okay? 
We don't know everything. The show is amazing. Like, I don't know why I have this like weird down boyfriend. Hush. I'm just, yeah. I've just got yeah, I, so much like female rage. I totally right now. hear that though. Like logically, like that, yeah, that doesn't totally make sense for the story. But as far as like the image goes, like that stage picture, that point in the show, like this is what we're up against. It's real. Shit's hitting the fan, yeah. women. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. So whatever, uh, boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> It's, yeah, I'm just feeling, I'm just feeling all the feelings. I'm feeling a lot of just, like, righteous feminist anger. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, that show made me feel like that. And then I just started watching Glow. I'm not done at all. I only watched the first episode. Hmm. Netflix original series Glow. Anyone? Not, no one in this room yet? I've okay. seen it, a picture of it. Cool. I think it's called a flyer or a billboard. <laughs> <laughs> I do work in entertainment. Um, I don't know what the show's about. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So it's about... Um, it is about an actress who is, you know, trying to make her way, and she can't get any roles, and she is, uh, I guess, recruited, I don't know what you call it, um, for this... Uh, professional wrestling league for women. So it's just like WWF, but it's ladies and they're supposed to be all like sexy and like crazy costumes and like, you know, titty twisting, hair pulling, whatever. Yeah. And um, Alison Brie is the star and she's really good. And everybody, yeah, and everybody loves it. Um, I've just been hit from all sides, like finish it, watch it. I was up till 4am binging this and I'm like, okay, I'll get there. I have a life to live. Um, Anyway, we'll talk about that. Okay. Another time. But for today, we talk about gangsters. We are talking about gangsters. Um, Sarah, how did you approach this assignment? Like, what happened in your mind? In my mind, I was like, I wonder if there's some famous Jewish mafia dudes or like mobsters. And sure enough, there are. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, and there's one in particular who I guess everyone knows about. I didn't know about. I probably don't this know. This bro named Bugsy Siegel. Oh, yeah. You mentioned Bugsy in a text, and I was like, I don't know who that is. Well, yeah. Who And who's your dude, and, and how did you interpret this? Okay, so first thing, I was like, well, I mean, I know that there are a lot of black gangsters, but, like, where do I start? Like, who who should I know about, I guess? And so first, I was, like, researching the Crips and the Bloods, and I did hours of research on the history of these gangs oh boy i learned so much and i kind of want to do like a bonus learned up episode or something you or should like, just have a lot of bonus learned up episodes by really yourself should. no but you are like above and beyond <laughs> just like getting extra credit like seeing the teacher uh, after class it's just no once you start you can't stop you know you like go yeah. into a little wormhole and you really can't stop like reading articles and watching youtube videos and yeah w- i've done that with books. like i've done that with like famous serial killers like i went down uh-huh. like a, a heavy like ted bundy um john wayne gacy yeah exactly like, trip yeah and then you're like you're an expert on this crazy stuff and you like want to bring this stuff up in casual conversation but it's like not really polite mm-hmm. to talk about yeah, yeah like yeah. i actually actually did like bring up this whole thing about the Crips and the Bloods like yesterday in a bar and these people were like checking over their shoulder like can we not talk about this year oh anyway 
Um, after, I don't really know how I wound up uh, getting out of that loop, but who I landed on was Mutulu Shakur, who is Tupac Shakur's stepfather. Wow. Yeah. Really interesting guy, uh, black nationalist, political activist, also a criminal and mastermind. So we can talk about that whenever we're ready. I don't know where we are. Let's just do it. Okay. 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 I'll just kind of roll through mine. Yeah. Roll through it. Okay. So Mutulu Shakur is this guy who was born in Baltimore, 1950. Baltimore. Baltimore, what's up? 410. He he was born Gerald Wayne Williams. And uh, he, you know, he's grown up like learning from Malcolm X and people like him. He's a revolutionary, a black nationalist. And for people who don't know, black nationalists believe that black folks deserve their own nation. Like, we were plucked from Africa against our will, dropped in the U.S., and then after emancipation, no one asked us if we wanted to be citizens. It was just like, <laughs> this is you now. You're just kind of, like, lost. Aren't you so glad to be here? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you're welcome, and we're going to keep treating you like shit for hundreds of years more. Um, and they say, no, thank you. We would like to, you know, come together and be our own thing. Like, we want a majority black territory in the U.S., please. And... Um, So he's a part of this group, um, the RNA, uh, Republic of New Africa. And so he learns from these leaders and he's like growing up. He's, you know, how am I going to how am I going to be a part of the liberation for black people? And um, when he becomes an adult, he actually gets this job working at uh, the Lincoln Detoxification Center in the Bronx. And he's. He gets certification to be a doctor in acupuncture. So he's at this detox center in the Bronx helping people with withdrawal symptoms, mostly folks who are like coming back from the Vietnam War, who are like addicted to heroin or just folks in the street who are addicted to heroin or whatever. So he's using acupuncture to help these people um, get clean. And it's really cool because this is this is like a publicly funded project. It's the first detox program that isn't relying on chemicals. And it works like better than methadone clinics. So people are kind of pissed at that because like methadone is another highly addictive drug that like there's like money in that. And this whole acupuncture project is like taking money away from that program. So people like don't love this detox program who are like on the business side. Or in right, the- right, right. Okay. I do have to say, I the Bronx is maybe not the first place I would go to get acupuncture. You know? <laughs> yeah, same here. Sort of a surprise. Yeah, it is. It is a surprise, and it w- it was unique. It was really unusual. It's like yeah. who is this weird guy? Interesting. It's a huge success, and um, this acupuncture clinic actually becomes like a spot for activists. Like it's a big hub for people who are like coming and going. Like it's like a social place. Um, it's a place where people gather to talk about black issues. Um, some of the people coming in and out of there are Black Panthers, um, also Black Liberation Army people. That's a black nationalist group. We'll get more into that later. Anyway, he's mostly like a nonviolent guy up until in 1969, there's this like RNA convention, Republic of New Africa um, convention in Detroit at this uh, Baptist church. And these cops storm the place and they're like brutalizing people and arresting people. 
And there, this is just like one of those times where they're like, oh, these Black Panthers, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. Look at these like criminals, these thugs. And like maybe some people did commit crimes or whatever, but it didn't like warrant this kind of a like raid or whatever. And Matulu's in there and he's one of the people who's being like beat up by cops. And he's like, holy shit, I didn't even do anything wrong and I'm being treated like this. This is a message to me that I should be more militant. Like if I'm going to continue my work um, as a new African, then I'm probably going to have to like arm up or something. I don't know. So he becomes increasingly militant after 1969. Also, right around this time, there's the whole like Quantel Pro thing going on. So like there's this illegal FBI operation, this like task force that's like, handpicking different black activists and declaring them dangerous. And they're yeah. being like, their wires are being tapped. They're being followed around in grocery stores and stuff. FBI agents randomly going through their trash. It's totally illegal and not okay. And their rights are totally being violated, but who's going to believe whom like FBI agents are, is the public going to like have their backs or have the backs of these like random black people who are like, we deserve better. Yeah. And this was like, this was all like a directive under J. Edgar Hoover, right? Yeah. He was I like, believe. find these people. Yeah. Yeah. I so, remember learning about that. Um, yeah. I, that Especially with like Black Panthers that he was like, go get them. Go get them. Go and, into their homes and like shoot them in their beds. Precisely. Yeah. And Mutulu's on this list. So he's kind of like, shit. Like, I, if they come and get me, whether or not I've done anything wrong, they might just kill me. Like, that's a possibility. Oh, fuck. So he and... A big group of people. There's the Black Panther Party, the Black Liberation Army, some of these new Africans, and this white group called the Weather Underground. They all get together and form this team, and they start doing these armed robbery. Now, the 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 idea behind it is like we're taking back what's owed to us. They're they're not considering these robberies. They consider them expropriations they're they're cool. kind of like robin hood you yeah. know they're like we're doing this so here's like a bunch of armed robberies let's just go down the list 1976 armored car bank heist in pittsburgh may 1977 there's a meatpacking plant thing in the south bronx there's a robbery there uh 1977 city bank mount vernon new york december 1978 armored car in new jersey mall September 1979, another bank heist in New Jersey. They are on this. They're doing this. And Matulu is like the guy. He's like the mastermind behind all of it. And they had this really cool plan for like how they would do it. They would have the black people go in and actually steal. They like were the robbers. And then they'd have a really well-to-do looking, nicely dressed white couple as the getaway drivers. So these cops would just like see the these white people driving and not think, you know, there was anything wrong. They're like looking, they're like, where are these people that, where are these suspects that we need? And they couldn't find them. So they were really successful with these like intricate, like perfectly choreographed um, heists. But then things get a little bit intense. In 1979, they do a raid on a New Jersey prison and they're springing activist Asada Shakur. She is a Black Panther and the Black Liberation Army frees her um, because, okay, so she is in prison because she's involved with a shooting that happened on the New Jersey Turnpike. 
in, uh, I forget which year. That's cool. But one state trooper gets killed. Another one is critically injured. And she's wanted for several other crimes. It's a whole thing. But they spring her from this New Jersey prison. She escapes to Cuba. And uh, she is just at large. She's still out there. (gasps) She's still in Cuba? She's Well, we don't know if she's in Cuba, but she's at large. Like, she's not in the States. We don't know where she is. Um, but the FBI would really like to speak with her. They would really <laughs> like... So if anyone really, here, if anyone out there knows... Yeah, if anybody sees Asada Shakur, she's wanted. Um, she was granted political asylum by Fidel Castro, but now that things are a little bit different between the U.S. and Cuba, they're like, hello, could you please uh, renegotiate those terms? Because um, we have some unfinished business mm-hmm. with her. So that was really impressive. They This is a successful raid on this prison. No shots fired. No one's injured. No one gets killed. It just kind of like is the Black Liberation Army's like way of flexing their muscle. Like, look at us pursuing our political dreams, accomplishing our goals, and no one's getting hurt. Aren't we the fucking shit? <laughs> um, it's pretty great. But the state is pissed as hell. Like, they're so mad. And they know that, like, Mutulu is, like, involved. So they're like, oh, we got to get him. Then, okay, da 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 1979, Mutulu gets evicted from that detox program because law enforcement is like, hey, we have a hunch that you're using that detox facility as a front for criminal activity. We think that you're using it as a means of generating revenue and then funneling it into uh, like black causes and black issues. And that's illegal. And also we think that you're hiding fugitives in there. He wasn't, they weren't. It was just a place where people would meet and gather and talk and heal people literally like from the street, like it was all good and legit medicine was being practiced there. But, you know, he got shut down. So he had to go start his own practice in Harlem in 1980, uh, 139th Street. He opened something called, okay, Black American Acupuncture of North America. No, Black Association, whatever. Banna, B-A-A-N-A. I can look it up later. Uh, He opens his own practice and it's a really good thing. He's helping a lot of people in the community and um, the kind of like group of people that that place attracts, they end up calling themselves the family and it's really nice and they all have each other's backs. And the reason why this is important is because Shakur, uh, like Matulu's reputation and like his ability to be well-liked is really important for this underground network that emerges for when he has to go um, in hiding, like all of the friends that he made, all the different people, they help him when, um, after this really crazy thing, this is the like climax of his story. After this thing happens, he needs to go in hiding. And so this family, this network helps him out. Okay. So this is the big explosion in 1981. There's it's, this is what's called the Brinks robbery. Now I kind of don't understand armored cars, Like, I don't get, like, what that is. Like, are there... Do we, like, keep money in armored cars? Is that just, like, how we move money around? Armored cars. I don't know. Like, tanks? I guess so. I don't know. Armored cars banks. I'm just gonna, like, Google this real quick. Banks on tanks? Yeah. It's like, okay, there are these, like, armored vehicles that are used for transporting valuables. So, like, I guess... Yeah, I guess it's kind of like, 
it's it's kind of like a bank, but just like it's moving. It's a like mobile bank. It's like a Mo- mobile banking. Mobile bank. I'm just saying words. I don't really No, but it's it's not like an app on your phone, but it is a it's bank. a real thing. It's on wheels. Precisely. Okay. <laughs> so this this thing. Um there's this armored car that gets jumped. They steal, Matulu's group steals $1.6 million in cash from this Brinks armored car in something called the Nanuit Mall in Nanuit, New York. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Whatever. In this event, a Brinks guard gets killed. Another one gets injured seriously, just like so bad. And then when the car, get, it travels to Nyack, New York, and then two police officers are killed and one of them happens to be the first African-American um, police officer in Nyack. And so people are like, that's so ironic that these black activists killed this guy, yada, yada, yada. And I'm kind of like, yeah, but like, it's law enforcement. Like, it's not like they were like, oh, we're going to try to gun down a black guy. It's like they're 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 opposing the police. So it doesn't matter that the guy's black. That's not really that ironic to me. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like the yeah, but when you put on that uniform, you represent the state. It's not like they're going to like not shoot you because you're black. Whatever. Uh and also they're not their goal was not to kill cops. Their goal was to just like make this political statement and like steal this money. Um so after all of this happens, they're in Nyack. This is a huge deal cuz they're just like what the heck is this? Like they stole $1.6 million in cash. Who are these people? And then when we like, oh yeah, a part of the like, a part of the cops pursuit of this is there's just mass confusion. Cause they, like I was telling you before about the way they would set up these robberies, they'd have like black folks do the stealing and they'd be the gunmen. And then white folks would be like driving mm-hmm. the car, the getaway car. They were like, describing the suspects on the radio and they described the vehicle that they were looking for. And so when the cops pursued the vehicle, they like got there and they looked at the drivers and they were like, what? But they're just like a nice white married couple. Like that's not who we're looking for. And then they were searching the car. And when they opened the back of this van outcome, like, like five gunmen just firing. And they're just like, holy Ah! shit, like what is happening? And so when they rounded up some suspects and they followed some evidence, they were like, oh, these aren't just ordinary criminals. One of them being Kathy Bowden. She, the last time she had been seen, she was like fleeing a bombed townhouse in Greenwich Village in 1970. And she had been on the run for 11 years. So they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There must be like a bigger universe of suspects here. Like, this thing is bigger than we thought. And so as they're going through stuff and asking witnesses questions, one name that keeps coming up is Motulu Shakur. And they're like, we got to get this guy. And Motulu goes into hiding. And so he's just going from safe house to safe house through his network, his friends, his family, his kids. Nobody even knows like where he is, only like he knows. And it's not until 1985 when they capture who they believe to be as the getaway driver, Marilyn Buck. They capture her, and when they have her in custody, that's when they can ask her all these questions. That's when they can figure out his whole safe house route. In 1986, they actually arrest him in Los Angeles, and the cops are like, thank God we have him. And Matulu's friends are like, thank God they didn't just murder him. They have him in custody. He's going to jail. (sighs) 
that's good. <laughs> like, we can all stop worrying that, like, any day now he's just going to turn up dead. So he, you know, the court case happens. He and Marilyn Buck are tried together. They both are guilty on all accounts. Uh, Marilyn gets 50 years. He gets 60 years. But the thing that I find so interesting is there's actually no evidence whatsoever that ties him to any of the crime scenes. Not one. Whoa. There isn't a single, there's no witness, there's no DNA, there's no fingerprints, there's nothing. He just orchestrated all of these. And the jury's like, yeah, he did. I mean, he did. He planned it. And like, there's all this evidence of him like orchestrating these events in different people's apartments, but he didn't actually do anything. Yeah, that's so crazy to me. Whoa. He's really crafty. Um, anyway, now he's in prison. He's been in prison for over 30 years, so he should have gotten this mandatory parole, but it was denied. And and he's d- had all good behavior. He's been, like, really helpful. He's been a community activist, like, a great leader within prison. And for that, I think that he should be granted parole, but he's not. And since the state is still kind of, like, opposing him, I consider him a political prisoner, prisoner of war. And that is how he prefers to be recognized, you know, not like as a criminal, but right. he's like, you know, an activist. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, he's Tupac's, Tupac's stepdad. Damn. So that's why he might be kind of mad that you're putting him in a gangster episode. Exactly. He, he might be like, would be that's offended. not what I, that's not how I would consider myself. Also, he has, he takes so much issue with Tupac's, uh, embrace of thug life mm. and like getting thug life tattooed on his chest and like advocating thug life. He is so frustrated by that. He's like, Tupac, what do you even mean by that? Like you, when you say thug life, you have to think about like what, um, what your enemies and what your opposition, what they take from that. You got to put a definition on thug life, make it clear, like control your rhetoric. Like he's just so like into specificity and Tupac's all like, whatever, man, like I represent my generation. I represent my people from the hood. This is how we talk. If you don't get it, you can step off, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Tupac, discipline yourself. And I really wish that Tupac hadn't been murdered. For one thing, he's really great at music. (laughs) And for another thing, I'm really curious to know how he would have developed politically like he was only 25 when he died so i can only imagine oh my god a conscientious dude i mean yeah he was rapping about like you know struggles and political and social issues for real he wasn't just like thug life you know exactly and like he was just like so misunderstood by so many people but you know in a way that's a part of what made him so great Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm so true lorraine Mm mm-hmm so anyway, that's that's my learned up homework. Wait a wait a sec. There was um, this woman that you mentioned who is still like at large, maybe in Cuba, maybe not. What was Asada? her name again? Asada Shakur. Yeah. So how is how is she a Shakur? How is she? <gasps> oh, what's the I connection? forgot to say Shakur. I'm, I I feel like I'm saying that so wrong. I know it's really Shakur. awkward. Shakur. 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 Shakur's light. Shakira. 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 Okay. So Matulu Shakur, (laughs) it's just always going to sound bad now. He got his name from uh, Saladin Shakur, who is, he was a leader, uh, an activist, a hero of his from the New Africans, from the Republic of New Africa. So he's someone that he looked up to and he was like, I'm going to change my name to his last name. Uh, 
in solidarity to kind of show how serious I am about this movement. And then Asada Shakur, I don't know her story, but I do know that Shakur, Shakur, <laughs> it's a Muslim word and it means, um, it's a Muslim name and it means uh, being thankful. Like, it does. To be it means grateful. thankful in Arabic. Great. Cool. Thankful in Arabic. So it's like, thank you to God. Thank you to Allah for everything that you've given me. I am grateful. I am humbled. Tight. So there are a lot of Shakurs, Shakurs running around <laughs> who are not necessarily I related like, to each other. I can't handle it. Shakur. Tupac Shakur. 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 Anyway. Um, yeah. So there could have been like everyone. Everyone. Is a Shakur. Get in here, yeah. Shakurs. <laughs> Shakur family reunion. Shane Shakur. <laughs> Welcome Shakur, to the new party of a thousand. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you guys know each other? We don't. <laughs> We're just like super grateful for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's it. Okay, cool. Thank you. Bugsy Siegel. Not to be confused with Bugsy Malone, a 1976 <laughs> gangster movie musical with an all child cast. Oh, hello. That sounds very funny. <laughs> Maybe unintentionally? Is that... I mean, that's such a funny... A gangster movie musical with an all-child cast. Was that a serious movie? I don't know, but it sounds hilarious. Jodie Foster's in it. Scott Bayo is in wait, it. Wait, what? Yeah, I kind of want to see it, but not if it's going to be like... Okay, this is going to be some controversial shit I'm about to drop, Lorraine. Get ready. Mm-hmm. Not if it's going to be like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because... I do not like my cute shit mixing with my crime shit. It is jarring. So are you trying to tell me right now that you don't like... I don't really like who Frame Roger, Roger Rabbit! What's wrong oh, with you? Man. Oh, my God. Uh, this was my choice. I chose, I chose to admit this. You don't like mixing your cute shit with your crime shit. I mean, maybe that's an over... Maybe that's a generalization that I will later contradict but do you that's how i feel right now also not like that's boris my truth right and now natasha from rocky and bullwinkle oh no i love boris and natasha okay do you but that's because it's all one universe it's a cartoon universe and so there can be villains uh, within the cartoon universe okay you know okay it's we don't have to talk about this podcast is not Fine. This is not about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Fine. Um, Bonus episode. <laughs> guys, write to me, DM me, whatever. Anyway, there's a movie called Bugsy, just Bugsy, um, that was made in 1991 about Bugsy Spiegel with Warren Beatty playing the title role and Annette Benning as his mistress, Virginia Hill. And this was where Beatty and Benning met and Fairwin Webb. Um, <laughs> someone please tell me if this movie is worth watching because it is two and a half hours long and I can't just be throwing away my precious yeah, time. Yeah, we learned about that yeah. before. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> um, okay. Bugsy Siegel. Born Benjamin Siegel in Williamsburg, Brooklyn in 1906. Guys, this was back when Williamsburg was dangerous, before it was cool. He was the original hipster. Um, <laughs> the area was like popping with Irish and Italian gangs. 
Um, Bugsy dropped out of school when he was just a kid and started dabbling in crime. He joined a gang that committed mostly like petty thefts. Um, he and another kid formed a protection racket, extorting money from pushcart vendors. Um, I learned about both uh, extortion and racketeering for this episode. Well, well, well. Yes, I did not know. Um, fun word, right? Racketeering. So fun. I was kind of hoping that word would come up on this episode. Because well, it's a word. I, it has. I know. And it sounds so like, um, I don't know, like good. Exactly. You know, like, I'm a racketeer. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it sounds like an after school um, extracurricular activity. It also makes me think of like candy striper. Exactly. <laughs> like, um, I was in the Young Democrats. Yep. Candy striping. Mm-hmm. Racketeering. Exactly. Badminton. Exactly. Yeah. Junior yeah. league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Anyway, so when he was just a boy, he met a fellow Jewish hooligan, Meyer Lansky, and they started their own mob called the Bugs and Meyer Mob, or the Bugs Meyer Gang, according to different sources. This was kind of the beginning of the Jewish mafia. Mm. Uh, Lansky, this guy Meyer Lansky, looked at the Italian and the Irish crime syndicates in the area, and he was like, we can do that. Um, Siegel was a big bootlegger dude, like when Prohibition was a thing. That was like one of his main... Um, sources of income and mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, and he was also the Bugs Meyer Mobs hitman. Like, he was a dude who would do, he would also do hits for hire for other gangs. Um, and he was like just really solid and reliable and like super tough and fearless. And people would just like be like, oh, do we want, who do we, who should we get to kill this dude? Oh, Bugsy, obviously, because he like, you know, doesn't have a heart. Um, <laughs> Uh, quote, Bugsy never hesitated when th- danger threatened. This is some dude talking to some other dude that I got from Wikipedia. Uh, while we tried to figure out what the best, while we tried to figure out what the best move was, Bugsy was already shooting. When it came to action, there was no one better. I've never known a man who had more guts. Um, cool, cool, cool. So Siegel was involved in just like a lot of mob activity that there's just too many things to, to mention. And like, it requires too much extra research into like the various syndicates and like who were the main dons at the time and like, which were this like certain factions and there were all these wars going on, you know? Um, there was this one called the Castella Marese war that apparently was a big one. And, um, Siegel had a really big hand in ending that war, which was really good and kind of like boosted him in the community because he was one of a few gunmen um, who shot this huge New York mob boss, Joe Masseria. Um, And so that kind of like catapulted him. Um, So uh, in 1929, I'm going to talk a little bit about Murder, Inc., um, which I didn't know about. I only knew about it as like... Ja Rule. Exactly. Murder, Inc. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's see. In 1929, um, Lansky and Siegel, the two buds from the Bugs Meyer mob, um, they attend the Atlantic City Conference, um, representing the Bugs Meyer mob. There's, um, a few other, like, big time Dons representing, um, they discuss the future of organized crime and the future structure of mafia crime families. At the conference, Siegel stated... The Yids and the Dagos will no longer fight each other. Um, by the way, so obviously those are two like derogatory terms for Jim okay. and Italians <laughs> respectively. Um, where did the term Dago come from? I do not know. Have you heard it before? No. Oh. I know that prego means thank you, <laughs> but I don't know. So I looked into this and 
it's kind of there's kind of some conflicting stuff. A couple websites say that the term is derived from Diego, a common Spanish name, and that Diego oh. was historically like originally I think it was used um, to insult both like Spanish and Italian okay. people. But I think I think it really took on more of a I, I think it's really more toward Italians. That's that's mostly how I've heard it. Maybe it's like there'd be like you know, like a little Italian boy on his like bicicletta or whatever, and he'd be going by and they'd be like, oh, there they go. Oh, that's cute. Maybe it was like that. Maybe it was like that. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Please uh, email us, let us know if you guys <laughs> have any in- intel. Um, okay. In 1931, Lansky and this dude, Charles Lucky Luciano, who is a huge member of this Italian crime family called the Genovese crime family, and he's considered to be the father of organized crime in America, this dude, Charles Lucky Luciano. Um, he forms, he and uh, Lansky form the National Syndicate, which is like this giant umbrella organization under which there were a bunch of different mobs. And one of those was Murder, Inc., which was Bugsy Siegel, Meyer Lansky, and just a bunch of their friends, I guess. Friends. I mean, just like associates, like dudes with, yeah, guns. Um, fun fact, in 1931, when Bugsy was 25 years old, he was rich enough to buy an apartment in the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. So that's great for him. Um <laughs> Next up is a section called Bugsy Goes Hollywood. Um, Bugsy was gaining a lot of notoriety for killing some important mafia dudes. Um, And long story short, he and everyone basically decided it was best for him to relocate to California. They were like, you should probably get across the country. Some people are mad at you. Um, So he packed up his family, which was his wife and two daughters named Barbara and Millicent. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and moved to his bootlegging and gambling rackets over there and set up some new shady businesses. He got involved in drug trafficking. Um, he may have started the drug trade between the U.S. and Mexico. <sighs> also, he is credited as bringing organized crime officially to the West Coast. So, wow. Thank you, Mr. Siegel. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, on his tax returns, he claimed to earn his living through legal gambling at Santa Anita Park near Los Angeles, <laughs> which I have been to recently. Hey, how wonderful about that? place! Really, is it nice? It's very nice. I love I love horses, and I like watching them run. Oh, cool! Um, Bugsy was a hit in LA. He had this dope mansion in Beverly Hills. He went to all the swanky parties. He was, you know, befriending peeps like Cary Grant, Frank Sinatra, Gene Harlow. He was handsome. He had these, like, glistening blue eyes. Looked like goddamn swimming pools. He was charming (laughs) as hell. People loved him. Okay. Side note, he did have an affair with an Italian actress, which at one point took him to Italy and resulted in him meeting Mussolini and trying to sell him weapons. No. It didn't work out. Um, Mussolini was like, no, I don't like these weapons. Are you serious? Yep. Wow. Um, Bugsy does Vegas. Okay. (laughs) There are contradicting stories about Bugsy Siegel's role in converting, like, basically a nothing piece of shit desert town into the modern Las Vegas that we all know. Some accounts say he was this, like, great visionary, and he saw this great opportunity in this land that was, you know, just a few short hours from L.A., and he, um, you know, decided to capitalize on it and build the first property there, which was the Flamingo Hotel, this great property that he's associated with, which I'll get into in a little bit. Others say there were already some casinos in operation there. And, like, he definitely did not create Las Vegas. But he was on the scene pretty early. And he did bring a lot of mob connections to the Strip, which continued, I believe, continue to exist to this day. Um, the Flamingo Hotel. Okay. In 1945... 
He launches this project, which he says is going to bring all the stars to Las Vegas. He names the hotel the Flamingo Hotel after his mistress, actress Virginia Hill, who um, I guess he called Flamingo because she had long skinny legs. Cool, cool, cool. That's very sweet. It's very sweet. Um, In Okay, the Flamingo opened in uh, 1946 on December 26, 1946. Um, I'm just going to read this little this little snippet. Um, at which time, only the casino, lounge, theater, and restaurant were finished. Although locals attended the opening, few celebrities materialized. A whole drove in from Los Angeles despite bad weather. They were welcomed by construction noise and a lobby draped with drop cloths. The desert's first air conditioning collapsed regularly. <laughs> While gambling tables were operating, the luxury rooms that would have served as the lure for people to stay and gamble were not ready. Sounds a lot like Firefest. Uh, Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what I thought when I read that. Just, that's like, imagining really these people funny. showing up and being like, here we are. Yeah. And they're just, like, there's just, no. like, their luggage is everywhere. Mm-hmm. There's, tense. There's, like, tense. <laughs> there's, like, oh my just, like, styrofoam God. boxes of, like, bologna sandwiches. It's just. Yeah, like a Kirkland, pa- like, a pack of, like, Kirkland water bottles just, like, open and yeah, hot. 100%. Like, this just, has been yeah. in my van for hours. Totally. Have at it. Totally. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Anyway, Bugsy was given a second chance to, like, get the hotel in good shape, but he fucked up because he grossly overshot the budget, and um, they basically found out that he was stealing money and reallocating it to his, like, personal endeavors. Yikes. So, um, obviously, this was, like, a mob. This was a mob uh, operation, and Meyer Lansky, his, like, childhood BFF, who was involved in this project, and other higher-ups are pissed. Cut to June 20th, 1947. Bugsy is sitting on a couch in Virginia Hill, his girlfriend's Beverly Hills home, when bullets fly through the window, killing him instantly. No. Who killed Bugsy Siegel? Who killed Bugsy Siegel? This is a mystery. This was a mystery for decades. I mean, there are no convicted suspects in this case. Um... There were really no major leads until this L.A. Times article came out in 2014 where the writer interviews this woman named B. Sedway, who was the widow of this dude, Mo Sedway, big mafia dude, associate of Bugsy Siegel. He was this like faithful lieutenant of Meyer Lansky. Mo was in charge of overseeing all the spending on the Flamingo Hotel. He kept track of everything and knew what was coming in and going out. Apparently, Bugsy was sick of being watched because he was like, you know, he was known to have a temper and he just like liked to do things his way. He didn't like that, like they put someone there to like make sure that he, you know, spent things the way he should. Um, and apparently Bugsy calls this meeting with a bunch of um, Dons and is like, I want Mo out. Let's kill him. Word gets out to Mo, who calls his wife, B and says, come to the desert, like drive in from L.A. I need to tell you something really important. B comes in. He tells her look, I'm not going to be around for much longer. She says, I'll get Moose to protect you. He won't ever leave your side. Moose Panza was a Slavic truck driver and crane operator, not a mob guy. He was also B's lover. So she tells her husband, my lover is going to protect you. Like, don't even, don't even trip. I guess everyone was just really out in the open about it. Like she knew about, like he knew, she she knew about his affairs. He knew about, yeah, they were like, Kind of friends. Okay. Yeah. Um, and apparently they had, the two of them, like, had a meeting at some time before where they were like, look, we both know what's going on. Like, you're married to this woman. I'm fucking her. Um, 
let's just be cool. And the husband, you know, Mo is like, Totally cool. Um, you know, that's but- like so crazy. Also, that they could even trust each other. I don't mean trust each other like, oh, don't sleep with my wife. I mean trust each other like, what if Moose ha- is has been tapped by Bugsy? You know right. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's just like, okay, Moose, you got my back. I got your back. Yeah. Well, I guess they he. People trusted Moose so much because he wasn't connected to the mob at all. Like he was just like this. <laughs> he was just trying he was to just like a straight guy. He was just trying to get that nut. <laughs> he was just yeah. He was just like a day laborer. I think he just like drove trucks and just like you know got his hands dirty and then like came home and you know cool. Um, put bread on the table. He was just a solid stand up dude. You know, uh, you could just ask him to do shit and he would just be like, okay, that's great, no problem. Bee's so, lucky. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Not Moose, but Mo. Mo's lucky. Everyone yeah. wins. So Mo is really touched. He's like, he'd do that for me. And B's like, he'd do it for me. Aww. Aww. Um, <laughs> so according to B, she tells the this LA Times writer, Moose was the one who killed Bugsy. Mo asked Moose to do it because he was like, look, I'm afraid for my life. Oh, my God. We need to kill him before he kills me. Oh, my God. And Moose was like, sure, dude. Sounds like, sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. And consider it done. Yeah. Um, wow. Like, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Wow. So, and then this is... Um, yeah, this LA Times article is pretty fun. It like it reads like a like a freaking beach novella. Um, it's so, yeah. So, oh, no, sorry, no, I said LA Times. I meant Los Angeles Magazine, LA Mag. Um, it's called Who Killed Bugsy Siegel. It came yeah. out September 29th, 2014. So this is like a major thing that happened. Um, and then I was just looking around the internet, like, like okay, so what's what's been happening since then? Like, d- have they ha- have like LA police like move forward with this like I don't know it's been so long like what can you do at this point um there's this people magazine I know this is like not really a reputable source but people magazine um had this little article about it um that cited the LA mag story and said um they write Siegel's unsolved murder soon became Beverly Hills's most famous cold case does this mean the 67 year old mystery is finally solved when asked for comment Beverly Hills police oh Beverly Hills police sorry not not uh, LAPD. Fancy. They fancy Because right, they got their little municipality over mm, there and shit. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, Good for you. All right. Yeah, like if you run a red light over there, it's like a crazy fine in comparison yeah. to if you By did way, it. Like, I, yeah. I yeah. have some uh, I have some notes on that fucking intersection at like Cannon and Sunset. It's oh like a six, my God. six roads Stop converge. Yes. No lights. Well, like who? It's a social experiment. I don't understand it. It's crazy. Everyone's just like... You go. Yeah, I want to. Yeah. Are you? Are you gonna? I and I don't trust anything that's happening because it's like, okay, maybe they're all on the same page because culturally, like their minds are synced. But I'm (laughs) from the fucking like east side. Like I live in Glendale. I don't know what page we're on. I need lights, man. Yeah. Or also, I go by the rule of standard standard intersection. Whoever gets to it first, or whoever's on the right side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right there with you. So. Whatever, Beverly Hills. Whatever. We get it. Okay. Yeah. You're so, okay. so special. So the Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. The, the, the <laughs> BHPD <laughs> spokesman, uh, Sergeant Max Lubin, told people he hadn't yet reviewed the uh, LA Mag article. We are not releasing any information about Panza's alleged role in Siegel's death, he says, because it's still an open case. It's never been closed. Mm. Um, okay. Well... Anyway, um, tune in, I guess, for updates uh, as they yeah. come in. Um, random fun facts about Bugsy from History.com. <laughs> Bugsy hated his nickname. Apparently, as a teen, Siegel's violent temper and mercurial personality saw friends describe him as crazy as a bed bug. <laughs> Many soon began calling him Bugsy or Bugs, but the gangster loathed a nickname and supposedly threatened anyone who used it. 
My friends call me Ben, he once said. Strangers call me Mr. Siegel. And guys I don't like call me Bugsy, but not to my face. Um, I feel like we should have, like, fat cigars in our mouth for yeah, this. Yeah, you know? I definitely agree. Um, also, this ties back into your, quote-unquote, gangster. Mm-hmm. Um, never convicted of a serious crime. Huh. He was arrested on suspicion of everything from possession of narcotics and firearms to murder and rape. That makes me sad. Wow. But he was only found guilty of two minor offenses. A 1930 charge of gambling and vagrancy and a 1944 charge of placing bets illegally on a horse race. In both cases, he walked free after paying like a fine of like a hundred dollars. Goodness gracious. Yes. That's like a real G. Yeah. Right? He See, played the system. He totally played the system and he won. Siegel's wow. most serious brush with the law came in 1941. This was kind of a big case. He was arrested for the murder of mob associate Harry Greenberg. He spent time in jail, but the charges were dropped after a key state witness uh, deny or sorry died under mysterious circumstances. So that's kind of weird. Also, mm. Bugsy was given special treatment in jail. He like refused to eat prison food, so he just got special meals. Okay, and he was allowed female visitors. <laughs> wow. Okay, Bugsy. So he did it right. Jeez. Hashtag blessed. I yeah, mean, you definitely picked the right guy. Yeah. Like this. That's some golden learnt up shit right there. He just, yeah, he led a, a really charmed life up until, you know, being, being shot, like, without warning in, in his girlfriend's home. Yeah. But you know what? He was reading the newspaper. He was relaxing. It was, like, I don't know, probably a Saturday morning. Like, yeah. he, he was with the woman he loved. Like, sure. Maybe he was happy. I think he was only, like, 41 years old. So that sucks. Yeah. But it's crazy, like, what people got done at such a young age. I know. You know what I mean? Like, he yes. was already, like, a high up like Jewish mafia dude by like 25 years old. Exactly. It's like, it's like, like I shouldn't feel, he should not make me feel insecure. Right. About my life and my choices. Mm -hmm. And yet he does. Why? Um, the whole Shakur, Shakur, (laughs) (laughs) the whole Shakur, I can't. Matulu's whole family mm-hmm. makes me feel insecure. Insecure. <laughs> <laughs> they make me feel insecure oh. because it's like Matulu, his wife Afini, who is was a Black Panther and political activist who did amazing stuff. There's Tupac, who is fucking Tupac. Like, yep. where do we even begin, you guys? And then there's Matulu's birth son, Mo Prem, who is also a rapper and revolutionary in his own right. It's just like a family affair. They all did great stuff. And I it's too much. do improv. <laughs> You don't just do improv, Lorraine. You also do sketch comedy. It's true. It's true. <laughs> hey, Lorraine. Uh, um, I'm gonna name. I'm gonna read you these five uh, mobster names I made up, and you can tell me which one you want to be, and then I'll pick one. Oh my god! Yay! Okay. Spunky Larue, Sammy Elbows, Skinny Chescarelli, Vinny the Cheese. Bananas Magoo. Whoa. I want Bananas Magoo. And you want to know why? Why? Because I really don't like bananas. And a lot of people <gasps> know this. I know. What? Look, you don't like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. I don't like bananas. Okay. Even. But how have... Okay. I think that the bananas thing should have come up earlier because like we've eaten together many times. I don't know. Maybe I've just kind of kept it to myself. But a lot of people know this about me. And I feel like... It, I, that's the way it works, right? Like, you oh, yeah. hate your nickname right. or whatever. Right. And you're like, don't call me that. Don't but call I, me and that. And you're like, but I love it. But I kind of <laughs> love it. I kind of love it. I kind of love getting mad about this. Cool. What about you? Who well, are you? I'll be Sammy Elbows because I, yeah. <laughs> I just think that's funny and elbows are funny. And I actually have always 
kind of had a weird complex about my elbows. I mean, what's up? Look at look how square they are when I do that. Is that normal? I don't. No, mine are mine. No, are you're more like pointed. pointed. What's going on with your elbows? I've got like two elbow show, joints. Show us yours. Yeah, I think show ours, me your elbows. I think me and Alexis both have more like pointy. Like diamond-shaped elbows. Okay, when you stare down the barrel of your forearms, <laughs> is there a sort of like straight Yours, line? Your elbows are like the feet in the witches. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> I have witch feet elbows. Ah, Sammy elbows. Oh my god. <laughs> I um, might actually. That name call really you picked, that. picked me. I really <laughs> like that for you. Oh man, that's okay. Great. Mobsters and gangsters. Pew 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 pew. pew. Jubus and Agboos and Agboos and Jubus. Here we go. <laughs> uh, my Jubu is Marilyn Monroe. Ooh. Did I, I do like her already? It. I don't I remember. No, definitely. I would have remembered. Okay. She converted to Judaism in 1956 when she married Arthur Miller because she wept him so much. That's so cool. So cool. Do you want to know mine? Mm-hmm. Mine is Chance the Rapper. <gasps> no questions needed. <laughs> yup. That's it. <laughs> um, that's that is very good, Lorraine. I'm seeing Chance the Rapper in October no at the Hollywood Bowl. Way. I got my tickets in like February. Oh my god! Congratulations! Thank you that's so gonna much. That's going to be so cool. It really is. I'm very excited. I just want to say, like, Chance the Rapper's music found me like hella late. Slash, I found it. Hella me late, too. Me but too. But I really feel that it found me. If mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It like was, me and Sammy Elbows. <laughs> yeah, like just like you and Sammy Elbows. <laughs> His music is so sweet. In it, I feel like this is going to make me sound so insane. You know when, okay, okay, okay. You know how men are aggressive and like, are like, um, you have to pay attention to me. You have to give me attention. I, like catcalling guys yeah. who are like, you have to like me, make, yeah. give me attention. I feel like a lot of music is very assaulting that way. Mm-hmm. And it's very like, pay attention, like me, follow music. And then, you know, in your life, you find that person that truly loves you and truly cares about you and is gentle and is like, if it's okay with you, you can pick me to be your boyfriend. That is how Chance the Rapper's music feels to me. It's like, hey, hey. Young that's, woman. That's so cute. If you are into it, I'm into it. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, someone described his music as smile rap. Smile and rap. And I think that's, that's so, so accurate. Good. That's so good. Because it kind of sounds like he's smiling and it makes yeah. you smile too. Yeah. I love Chance the Rapper. Also, I like dropped this like tweet or whatever about it. But um, there, I was at Barnes & Noble's like checking out and I was I was buying a Teen Vogue magazine and the and Chance the Rapper was on the Why cover. Why were you buying a Teen Vogue magazine? For my boss? Does that make sense? No. It, it doesn't. Uh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Okay, so I was buying Your boss is like a teen girl. <laughs> <laughs> she will be displeased if I don't return this in, oh my in a God. timely fashion. But like Teen Vogue has gotten so cool. Like, do you know about this? Like Teen Vogue has expanded its audience a little bit and it's like very like politically engaged and is like kind of trying to reach a little bit of an older audience. Well, shit. You guys should like Teen Vogue on Facebook. They're the shit. Okay. And Anyway, I'm buying this issue of Teen Vogue, Chancellor Rapper's on the cover, and the I didn't want to get into a big conversation about it. I wanted to just get my magazine and get out of there so I could get back to work. And the lady was like, oh, do you love him? My husband loves him. And I was like, uh, and I didn't even know who she was talking about because I wasn't paying attention. She's like, Chancellor Rapper. Oh my God. I'm nervous that my husband would leave me for Chancellor Rapper if given the chance. 
And Whoa. I was like... And you were like, is your husband gay? But, like, if given the chance... Oh, that's fun. <laughs> I should have I like picked that. up on that. If given the chance. Okay, anyway, 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 that is my black boo. Oh, what time is it? It's trivia time. Trivia time. <laughs> oh my god, I like didn't have to even do a nasal voice because I'm like sick. You're right there, baby. Um, Sarah, did you know that like the first vaccine in America was introduced by an American slave? What? No, yeah, I didn't. That's right. Uh, an African uh, named Onesimus told uh, his master guy um, or someone, some white doctor guy named Mather. um, Mather? Yeah, this guy named Mather. He taught him about this practice that they used to do back in old country, I mean, old continent Africa, Mama Africa, that if you took uh, an infection and then scratched it onto the skin of an uninfected person, it could make them immune. And this was like super risky and crazy. What with the smallpox epidemic breaking out in 1721, but they tried it, you know, they experimented with it a little bit. And only 2% of the patients who received the inoculation, the vaccine, died. Whereas 15% of people in this test group that weren't vaccinated died. Whatever. What I'm saying is it worked. It worked. Mostly. It mostly worked, which is kind of cool. Cool. You're welcome, medicine. Yeah, thanks, slave man. What was his name? Onesimus? Onesimus. Onesimus. I don't think I'm pronouncing it right, but Onesimus is how it's read. That's okay. Speaking of fun names, um, here's a quick bit of trivia. Adolf Schickelgruber would have been Hitler's name. His father changed his last name in 1877 from Schickelgruber to Hitler. <laughs> wow. Why would he change his name? It's just so catchy, Sammy Elbows. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Schickelgruber. 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 Okay, that's the episode. Thank you so much for stopping by. I kind of just want to take a second to remind people like how this works. What we're doing here is like there's information that we don't have at all. And then we feel like we should have it. And then we go get it. Yeah. Isn't that great? We get after it. And then we are new and improved people after. And if you enjoy that process, if you like it, fucking show up for us get on board dude fucking rate Write review subscribe do us a solid it put helps our, put our voices in your phone help forever. us out yeah Come on. follow us why don't you on all the social media we're at learned up podcast and you could even fucking you know send us an email oh yeah we're a learned up podcast at gmail.com give us some tips yeah tell us what you like and didn't like tell us give us Please give us ideas for future episodes. Please, it makes our life please, easier. Please. Um, thanks, What's a Creative, our podcast network. Thank you, Alexis B. Preston. And thank you, Adam Isaacson, for our theme music. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. Gangsters. Gangsters. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>